Welcome to Positive Disintegration Podcast. This is Episode 18, Engaging Transformation. Hello, wonderful listeners, and welcome back to Positive Disintegration, Framework for Becoming Your Authentic Self. I'm your host, Emma Nicholson, and with me is co-host, Dr. Chris Wells. Hi, Chris. Hi, Emma. How are you? I'm really good. And we've got a guest on today that I'm excited to talk to because I don't even think we know where this conversation is going to go today. So it's going to be a nice surprise. Well, I feel confident that it's going to be a nice surprise. Yes. Because you've known Rachel for a while, correct? That's right. Um, like a year and a half, I guess. So for our listeners, today's guest is Rachel Fell. Now, Rachel is a coach, consultant, educator, and guide working with creatives, thinkers, leaders, and groups to create perspective change uh, that achieves real-world results. Her sweet spot is it in where applied philosophy meets unlearning, meaning-making, reframing, and integration. Rachel has always been fascinated by the connective tissue between ideas, concepts, people, and evolution and growth. Rachel's coaching and consulting style is rooted in co-exploration, participatory action, research, sovereign reflection, and positive regard. At present, she's available to work with individuals and teams of all types. So welcome to the podcast, Rachel. Thanks, Emma. Thanks, Chris. Glad to be here. We're glad to have you here. I'm so glad you're with us today. Rachel and I met at the SoulSpark Learning Empowerment Summit Series. I think that was, is that right? Yeah. You got it exactly right. Okay. (laughs) <laughs> right. Exactly. And so you that's right. And so you were helping Kate with that. Um mm-hmm. like to put it on because at first it was going to be an in-person conference, but it was 2020 and so it ended up being a virtual conference that we did over several sessions and it was really wonderful. It exceeded my expectations in fact and was just so much cooler than expected and I was it was such a pleasure to meet you and other people that presented and attended that series. It was really cool. Yeah, it felt like like it unfolded and it created this really lovely community dynamic, even though we were all navigating the beginning of a pandemic and we were doing it online. Um, yeah, that was that was a great series. Yeah, I'm <laughs> just reflecting it was. on it. Yeah, and so we're both on the board of directors now for SoulSpark Learning too, which is noteworthy. And it's been a pleasure to work with you in that capacity. Yeah, definitely. It's cool to be, you know, it's like so based in um, holistic inclusion and, you know, it's just like the, the work we're doing and just getting to know each other has been really, really awesome. I've, this has been an awesome opportunity to like, you know, we went to NAGC together, you know, and, you know, I was able to um, get like a sort of peek into the, the gifted ecosystem that way too, which has been really cool. That's right. Yeah, it was, that was great. Your session with Kate on trauma was wonderful. Um, The one thing that we have been starting everybody off with is to just introduce for us how you first learned about Dabrowski's theory, if you don't mind. Yeah, yeah, sure. Absolutely. So everybody has a different journey, but I would imagine that a number of us come to understanding and learning about positive disintegration via our own positive disintegration, um, which is very much true for myself and and my story. So um, 
the short of it, I suppose, um, was, you know, really feeling that dissonance, um, you know, having, you know, a successful career in brand and marketing, um, kind of climbing the corporate ladder and all of that, really feeling like I was operating from a place of sort of self-generated, you know, framework, uh, philosophy, but, you know, as things started to continue to break down, even though everything on paper seemed good, I was like, oh, well, something's going on here. So, um, I had a boss at the time kind of pull me aside. I was working at an agency and and he said, he's like, Rachel, you have such great ideas. And and this is also wonderful for our clients, but, but you need to slow down and just kind of like parse some of these ideas a little bit, you know, not everybody is gifted like you are. And when he used that language, it was like, um, like a bell went off through space and time because I had completely forgotten that that was ever even a thing, (laughs) even though I had gone to school and like, you know, been in the gifted and talented classes and like, you know, had done well and blah, 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 but, you know, really had buried that part of me. And so when he used that language, something really resonated and that really opened the door to this earnest self-exploration. And then it wasn't long after that, um, the coach I was working with at the time said, suggested that I check out positive disintegration. Lo and behold, there it is. So, yeah. Do you want to say more about your gifted journey? I know that I just happen to know that you have been really connected with other people in the field. And so I wanted to kind of give you the opportunity to say more about that if you want. I mean, thanks for telling us about how you learned about the theory too. Yeah. Yeah. No, I'd be, I'd be happy to share. Um, My giftedness and neurodivergent integration has been um, definitely a process. You know, I, I think that everybody finds their pathway into that earnest self-exploration and, and, you know, if, if, if the disintegration comes by way of an external stimulus or an internal one, like Dabrowski talks about that internal dissonance was so present. Um, I was having a lot of physical symptoms. No, I started noticing all these physical symptoms and, you know, just something wasn't quite right. And I just kept barreling on barreling forward in my career, barreling forward in my life. And, um, giftedness really was the doorway that allowed me to access myself. I'm not sure why that word, I'm not sure, you know, I, I oftentimes think that for those of us who are neurodivergent, it's a lens and it, it touches everything, you know, it's like, um, developmental trauma, developmental experience, um, our relationship with culture, our relationship with education, like it, it's connected to everything. So I felt like I started pulling on this thread and I just, I was finally able to be met, to be mirrored by people in the gifted community in ways that like I hadn't before. Um, And then I was always able to like, look at um, anything. So, you know, religious, formative religious experience and trauma, right? I could see it more clearly through this lens of, you know, not just religious trauma, but religious trauma and my unique neurodivergent differences, right? Even exploring the nature of neurodivergence, turns out like I'm pretty existential, um, intellectual, those two spaces are really like where my, where I show up quite a bit. And so making meaning of what giftedness means to me and what neurodivergence means to me and exploring those things in really intersectional ways. Um, I found a lot of value in understanding anatomy and philosophy and, and anatomy and physiology really as like a sort of handbook to what it is to be a human. Like there's nothing more existential than the body. 
but the giftedness had to be a part of the unraveling and of the exploration and of the disintegration without it. I don't think I could have actually gone to where I needed to go. If that makes sense. It does make sense. And I appreciate that very much. I, in my work with people am constantly hearing kind of how hard it is for people to embrace the word gifted and how it's just a loaded term and they wish that there was some other term for it. And yet, as much as I can resonate with that, like I agree that it's a kind of a problematic term and it's hard to embrace at times. Like you, I feel like it was the term that helped me make the connections that I really needed to make for myself in my journey. And so it's, it's a tough one, this word gifted and giftedness. Yeah. Well, you know, what's funny about that, Chris, is when I first came to, um, spaces and places where I was working with coaches. I was doing a lot of self-reflection. I was really exploring and, and, you know, the disintegration it's like, well, I'm either going to participate. It's like you're, you show up and you're going to participate in it. Right. Cause it's happening. I was spinning out about the nature of language when I first came to this whole process. Um, and really like, you know, what does any word mean? You know, I, I think a lot about semantics and people, people often brush off semantics, like, oh, that's just semantics. It's like, well, semantics are incredibly pragmatic because like, what does gifted mean to you? And what does gifted mean to me? Or what does it mean to Emma? There's a lot of space to play and explore there. And so I think there is this shadow in the word around sort of like our collective cultural values about intelligence, exceptionalism, eminence, better than competition, right? But we can see those and hold those up and also understand that like the word is a word and that there is all this other stuff there too that's really important to acknowledge. And it can be hard for some of us to accept our difference um, when it is sort of perceived in these ways that really push on the collective, if that makes sense. It does. Thank you for, yeah, you put that really beautifully. It's true. There's so much here in the world of giftedness and intelligence and other kinds of giftedness. I mean, you've been in my study group that, that I have, like this monthly study group that I haven't talked about much, honestly, in the podcast. And probably part of it is that I'm afraid now that more people are going to want to join because <laughs> like, you know, there's, it's hard because actually, I mean, part of what I want to do moving forward at this point is be more intentional around creating community, but it's like my study group has been kind of my safe space with a, mm -hmm. a pretty small number of people who I feel comfortable with. And so it's been a pleasure to have you there, mm -hmm. but I've really appreciated the way that you have, like you bring this, this questioning that I have found really valuable, the way that you are always kind of in this dialectic place of holding up conflicting ideas or looking to the shadow side of things, or it's good for me, it challenges me. And that's why I wanted to have you here with us on the podcast, because like these things that we're exploring, giftedness, trauma, you know, TUI and neurodivergence, all of this stuff, it's so deep and rich. And yet I'm often finding people ready to dismiss any of it as it's hard to explain, you know, I'm not sure maybe dismiss isn't the right word, but I, I get a lot of pushback around Dabrowski and positive disintegration. And so I don't know, it's been good to have you. 
Well, thank you. That's really kind of you to say, Chris, and really coming into um, embracing that, you know, deeply existential nature I have. Um, it wouldn't be possible without mirroring and without community. And so like I've been, it's been great to be there. I think it's really important that we create consensus reality and that we co-create with one another. And I don't think honesty and kindness have to be mutually exclusive. Um, one of the things I love about the theory is when I think about level three and, you know, disintegrating and sort of this rebuilding. And, and I love how Dabrowski talks about it as like vertical, um, uses some spatial language. I really, really deeply believe that we have to have a sort of relation, a, a relationship with ourselves that's predicated on our sovereignty and on some sort of like applied philosophy that we create for ourselves, that we release what we don't necessarily believe. We might say we believe something, but do we really believe it? Right. And level three, I think is all about going inward and like breaking down the frameworks by which you like view reality. And there's nothing more existential than that. It's like, what's the nature of a self? What's the nature of a word? What's the nature of a concept? And when you have that kind of relationship with yourself where you really can create meaning and you can do that in kindness and, and you can do that with honesty and you can be nice to yourself and like release expectations of self and needing to prove things, then you can meet the outside world and you can meet other people and you can really explore to the edges and to the depths. And for stuff like neurodivergence or giftedness, stuff that's like really complicated and unfolding. I think we need more of that depth exploration where we can like really not need to prove and not need to be right, but just like be open to different ways of thinking about and, and even feeling into and like understanding this stuff, right? Like I mentioned physiology and learning about evolutionary neurobiology and the nervous system has helped me so much in my journey to understanding myself. Um, and I can kind of see it in the theory too, a little bit, you know, or you can see it in discourse around neurodivergence. So I think that's just an example, but all that to say, like being able to explore within ourselves definitely connects to our ability to explore with others. I think. I agree. It totally does. I've got a question for you that sort of sprang from some stuff I've seen posted on Facebook when people are talking about Dabrowski's theory and its use. And one thing that comes up is the interrelationship between sort of the different terms and how the pieces of the puzzle actually connect for different people. Mm -hmm. um, so even with you grappling with giftedness, and the term and what does it mean, and then figuring out, well, how does that relate to Dabrowski's theory, even though he doesn't really talk about it all that much? Yeah. Uh, and the other thing is, you know, what is the difference between trauma and positive disintegration? And they're clearly two different things, but there is some correlation between them. Um, so, you know, people who go through trauma or are gifted are probably more likely to experience things like disintegration so I think it's important that you know everybody's looking at it from their perspective and saying this is how the things fit in for me personally um, and I just think it's fascinating that you're looking not only at the different pieces but sort of how everybody connects them on their own individual level um, and I'm particularly interested in 
you know, what you might have to say about trauma in particular and where that fits in to the whole picture because that's something that often comes up particularly in gifted circles online is their, you know, their experiences and how it relates to their trauma. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. So much here, you two. I'm so excited. Let's just see how this unfolds. I feel like in some, you know how in some languages they have like 20 words for snow. Are you familiar with it? You know how like, that's right. okay, we need that for trauma. <laughs> we need more nuanced and specific and precise ways to engage what feels like a very complex isn't the word, but it feels like one word just ain't doing it justice. So I want to start there and then also say that like nothing more existential than to examine the nature of things. So like, I'd like to volley it back to both of you and ask you like, how do either of you define trauma? Well, personally, I mean, when I think of it from my own experience, and this is not, you know, from any kind of academic perspective or anything I've read is like, for me, traumas have been kind of earth shattering moments in my life. And I would say that's true for me personally and as a parent. And in fact, I think that they're not always moments so much as they can be many moments. And I'm thinking they're more as a parent, like, you know, my son was bullied when he was in first grade and that Mm -hmm. was months and months of trauma like Mm -hmm. unfolding. And at the time I didn't even realize how traumatic it would be because you know, I was like, well, lots of kids get bullied. Like you don't realize until the damage has been done sometimes, like how deep it's, how deep it has been. Yeah, absolutely. What would I, if I can reflect back, what I heard in there is like capital T trauma and then also like CPTSD or a sort of more compounding interest on a sort of set of experiences or something that's more ongoing. So even there, right? Like it's, and then educational setting, there's, you know, your son and his experiences and then how you interact with his experiences, your own experiences. So already we're like in this territory where it's like, it can mean so many things. And then, yeah, I'm curious, Emma, how you, how you make meaning of the word. My way is to relate it to to something else. So if I compare it to physical trauma you you have the difference between something that causes you injury and something that causes the body real trauma and whether or not that's a singular event or a, a bunch of events I suppose it comes to the difficulty to recover from it um, because you can have something in your life knock you down but you can get back up from it whereas trauma is something that knocks you down and keeps you on the canvas for a significant amount of time. Yeah. So interesting how the two of you have relatively different ways of making meaning of the word, even though we talk about it. Right. And it's like, I think that it's it's really important to to slow down and explore that stuff. So if I I add my own, it's actually like quite straightforward in the sense that I, I would say that trauma is the emotional impact, the impact, the emotional impact, or I get, you know, the impact on the nervous system in the organism. So, you know, can animals experience trauma? We have emotional trauma, psychological trauma, physical trauma, there's CPTSD, there's there's acute, you know? So it's like really the subjective nature of trauma and sort of 
starting with our own subjective definitions is really important, I think, to exploring it as a collective. How I map an experience is going to be different than how you do, Emma, or how you do, Chris, and what might be impactful for me may not be impactful for one of you or both of you. And so really, you know, I, 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 then I like to think about our collective definitions and our, our current discourse on trauma. So I sense a climate of sometimes like fear or hesitation to engage when talking about trauma. It's, it's like wanting to be sensitive, but where does sensitive become fragility? Like I want to be able to work with this in myself, right? So like, I wanna understand the nature of this thing so I can better work with it in myself, let's say. Um, and then of course, if I can work with it in myself, hopefully I can more sensitively and thoughtfully work with it in others. But if it's the impact on an organism, then it's, then it's like, well, there's no universal, not everything is universally traumatic. So as related to positive disintegration, um, I, I do wonder, like, what are the conditions that make for person, you know, it's like, you know, Dabrowski worked with the, um, the folks coming back from the war, right? And they're having these like big capital T traumatic experiences for a neurodivergent kid that gets bullied. That's really traumatic too. And so I don't have answers. I have mostly more questions, <laughs> but coming back to the nature of trauma, it's definitely subjective. And I think it definitely does have to do with like the nervous system and, neuroception and uh, a felt sense of safety, acceptance, things like that, you know? It's been really interesting over the past few years to spend more time thinking about trauma's impact on the nervous system and to learn about things like polyvagal theory um, and yeah, neuroception and to re like to recognize just this week I was writing to Michael actually about how I almost feel foolish for not recognizing until fairly recently, how important co-regulation is for me, that I can't think my way out of it when I'm dysregulated emotionally. I need somebody or like nature to co-regulate with. I just, you can't like send me to a room by myself to write and think my way out of that, that state when my nervous system is kind of a mess. And like, how did it take me until deep into my forties to figure that out? It's, I mean, it's really something. Well, I, I, I wouldn't blame yourself too hard because the mind body split is like very pervasive and everything. Like I have a pretty serious beef with Descartes. Like I think therefore I am does not feel right because if we're talking about trauma and we're not talking about the body, I don't think we're doing it right because the unseen human experience is rooted in the physical body. Like the nervous system is, I mean, if we really want to explore this, and give it sort of as much, let's say, objective framing as possible, all humans have a nervous system. And so if trauma is the impact on the nervous system, it's going to translate in both the unseen experiences of the human being and sometimes physical too, right? You know, we know anxiety, upregulation, um, you know, shaking, like there's, there's all sorts of physical manifestations of trauma. So really, I think that it's really important to talk about the body when we're talking about trauma and we're seeing this, right. We're seeing this with, you know, uh, my grandmother's hands and the body keeps the score. Like we're finally as a collective starting to breach this like mind body divide, which is a pretty artificial divide actually. I mean, they're just, it's all one thing. <laughs> That's true. I mean, we're definitely making progress, but we still have a long way to go too. 
So like, you know, sometimes it strikes me that I spend so much time talking with people who get this stuff and study this stuff and work with it in their practice that I'll, you know, talk with people who don't get it. And I'm kind of struck by how far we still have to go. And I would argue that that's especially true when I'm dealing with people in gifted education, because, you know, because it's like, because the theory lives in this field, that is a subset of education. It's easy for me to forget that like educators often aren't, well, they're not educated about this stuff and they're not clinicians and they haven't been trained to do clinical work. And so, yeah, there's, (laughs) we do still have a long way to go. Well, and, and maybe if I, if I may suggest too, like, you know, um, I feel like we're at this moment right now where like, there's so much need, you know, it's like, there's so much need. And so, um, what may, what may serve that, you know, it's like, well, it's, it doesn't really feel terribly like, like pragmatic or available to like become a clinician. Right. But what you can do is you can go in and start to work with it in yourself. So, you know, this is where I, I, I'm, I'm, I'd love to learn more from the two of you and talk a little bit more about this. So like, you know, sovereignty is really important to me in my work. And so like, it would feel unethical to like force a decision. You can't like, it's like a person has to want to step into the un- undoing or to the disintegration process. And something you said earlier, Emma, there, I think there is a difference, right? Like there's a difference between like a large, like a larger bout of positive disintegration. Um, can there be smaller bouts? You know, um, when is it that I am choosing to go in and work with my inner world and my like sort of framework of making sense of the world and my applied philosophy and that kind of thing. And when is it kind of being forced upon me by some sort of stimulus? Right. And, and to my understanding, like it, and, and please correct me if I'm wrong, it's like some sort of event inner or outer kind of like compels the person in, in the theory. Is that right? Yeah, I would say that, you know, it can be either, you know, one it can be kind of a shocking event, I would say, or a a sudden moment of insight, but it can also be more long-term, the disintegration where you're, you know, you have, would have different dynamisms kind of acting and, you know, and it's not always like a whole global, like disintegration where you fall apart, you know, completely. Like we had an episode, episode eight for us, we talked about like our own experiences of disintegration and, you know, I talked about how in my own life, I've seen ones that are more partial and not quite as dramatic and, you know, some that are more dramatic and kind of devastating, or at least that's how they felt. And also too about the, the, the fact that eventually you get to a stage where you're brave enough to invite it, mm-hmm. particularly mm-hmm. when you're going through autopsychotherapy mm-hmm. things, like you get to the point where you're like, okay, I can recognize that I've got an issue here. I need to work on it um and so i'm going to lean in on it in full knowledge that this is probably going to cause you know some sort of paradigm shift or you know maybe it's going to bring out a whole bunch of emotions that i don't particularly want to face um but eventually you can learn to embrace that process yes yes that really clarifies something that i said earlier and i wanted to go a little deeper on or give a little more context to, which is like, yes, learning to value as a collective going in and like 
looking at that sort of relationship we have to the self and the the things that we value, the way we make meaning of the world are, you know, if there is any sense of felt dissonance, it's like, well, can we explore that? And can we explore that with kindness and courage? And so I really feel like that. <laughs> I, I totally believe that if people were were to do what you're saying, Emma, like, and, and it's like the first time through Plato's cave is really scary because it's the first time through, but the second time through and any subsequent times through, you, you know, it's a cave, you know, it's shadows on the wall. So you have this felt lived experience of having been through it. And that is really important that can, if, if you do that, you can have empathy for somebody else that, and, and you can genuinely hold space in a way it's like, this is their process and I can be here with you in it, you know, and not that somebody should, you know, take on the role of a clinician, but when you're talking about educators, Chris, or we're talking about parents, or we're talking about, you know, leaders and organizations, it's like, we're in this moment where we need more of this empathy and this awareness. And so going through that with yourself really feels like it, it does something to a person's ability to hold space with another individual. Um, and then yes, like, is it a big disintegration? I mean, my first one, yes, it was terrifying. It was absolutely terrifying. But now I feel like I'm better equipped to surf any ones that come up in the future. You know, it, it does get easier to deal with it over time. And, you know, you feel like better equipped. That's exactly right. And I think part of that too is if you're, if you just trundle along and the universe has to push you um, through <laughs> trauma into a moment of disintegration, it's going to be a shock yes. because you're unprepared for it it's like someone pushing you into the pool, you know, unexpectedly and you fall in the water and it's cold and it's shocking. Whereas if you're prepared to go there yourself, um, you can sort of ease yourself into the water a little bit and you understand a bit more about what's going on and why. So I think when you, you if you're waiting for those moments where the universe is going to thrust that upon you, it's not going to be when you're expecting it or when you're prepared for it. Yeah, that's such a good, that's such a good analogy. It's like, and, and this gets it right into sort of like, we're back to talking about trauma and neurodivergence and then the body. So, you know, it's like, it's gotten to a point where it's too much to handle, you know, it's too much to handle for the person, the universe is going to take you in or your psyche or your body is going to take you and it's going to like shove you into the pool. Um, essentially if it's, you know, if it's not like a, external stimulus, but, but back to my, my definition is the impact on the organism. So it's like, that's where, you know, Chris, when you were talking about, well, gifted and neurodivergence, but also, you know, capital T trauma and how Dabrowski didn't necessarily speak to neurodivergence or giftedness specifically. Um, you know, I know there's a lot of conversation about that and that's long been a thing in the giftedness space, um, back and forth. What does that mean? But I think the answer is found in the body. And it's like, well, if the impact is there of the experience or the experiences, and there's some sort of threshold on containment of that, or it kind of tips the scale and it shoves you into the pool, now you're in disintegration. So is that like, um, you know, is that being bullied over time? Is that overwhelming sensory stimulation? Is that having really traumatic experiences in a war? Like it could be any of those things. And each organism, each, each human being maps, those things, carries those things, hold the, holds those things differently. So, um, it's totally just like a, 
I don't know. It's like a feeling I have, I suppose, but I can see how it works for any number of populations. And then as applied to neurodivergence and giftedness, I can definitely see that because we are in the beginnings of understanding neurology is different in neurodivergent people that the nervous system it's there's that you know nature nurture formative experiences birth to seven birth to 17 really calibrate nervous system function and for all sorts of reasons that we're still uncovering it's like people that are neurodivergent they map experience differently interoception, neuroception, sensory perception, all this stuff, right? They just have nervous systems that work differently. So they would perhaps respond to stuff differently. And then perhaps that would make sense with positive disintegration. I love how you just put that because when you were saying it, I was able to kind of see in my mind, like that we've made a whole circle here of this is where overexcitability came from. You know, Michael has said, so many times in his work and kind of over the years that it's a property of the nervous system, you know, Mm -hmm. it's in the nervous system Mm -hmm. and Mm -hmm. that's totally it. But it's Mm -hmm. interesting to me because, you know, I've talked before about how, you know, I've done this translation work with Michael or he's of course done the real translation work and I'm just kind of along for the ride, but he's translating this book from 1935 and people's minds are going to be blown when it comes out to see that Dabrowski did talk about trauma and he talked about overexcitability, not necessarily as something that you're born with. I mean, he does talk about that, but he also talks about the possibility of acquired nervousness, you know, and he gives examples of children who weren't particularly nervous children until some traumatic event happened to them. And then they were. Which makes sense because kids are the experiences in their lives calibrate their, how their nervous system and their overall, you know, it's like growth and development. It's like, you know, in a child, right. It's like, it's, it's real time nature, nurture reciprocity between the external and the internal, you know, because they're growing and they're forming in the world and around and with the world they're in. So, you know, this directly connects to the idea that like, you know, what is neurodivergence? What is giftedness? What is autism is, 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 is having, you know, complex trauma or acute trauma. Is that neurodivergence? It's like, well, in, in my book, it's, it's when, you know, the neuro, the neurology, the neurobiology is, is, is fun functioning or mapping things differently. And we can look to, um, there's this great analogy that my colleague Ellen uses about, evolutionary neurobiology with the brain. She calls, she says the brain is a ramshackle house. And so we have the brain stem, which is all about safety. It's, it's, it's like, it regulates the processes of breathing and the heart rate and everything, but like, you know, the reptilian brain, it's looking around, it's like, am I safe? You know, and pretty much every animal does that. It's like, am I safe? Then around that next, next up more recently is the limbic system. And that's, you know, seat of acceptance and belonging, um, the social engagement system. So emotions, habits, um, behaviors all kind of live there. And so the, and so those two, like working together, like how do safety and acceptance map together? You have this limbic system, you have this, um, you know, the, the brainstem essentially. And then last to the party, Um, the top, you know, the top part of the ramshackle house, you got the foundation that's ancient. You got the mid layer that's, that's pretty old, but newer. And then you have the newest part to the house, which is, you know, the cortical brain, uh, the prefrontal cortex, you know, that everything we think of as a collective, as the brain, 
language, reasoning, thoughts, rational, all that kind of stuff. So, you know, if there are experiences or reasons or whatever, that those three parts are kind of like mapped, not in coherence, then the signals are not going to like translate. So if there's a felt sense that like, it starts with the brainstem, am I safe? And then how safety and belonging map together. So in the case of your example with your son and the bullying, it's like, well, it can be found in the formative experiences and the nervous system. And it's, it's all there in, in physiology, in the body. It is. And so Dabrowski knew, (laughs) he knew, (laughs) he knew, he knew. And, you know, I mean, honestly, I remember the point in my son's childhood where there was just this moment of recognition that protecting his mental health was more important than school. Mm -hmm. And that we just had to pull him out of school because it was so damaging to him that suddenly it was obvious in his behaviors that it wasn't a safe place. You know, as soon as your child starts eloping from school, um, there was a day like so one day he like showed up at the back door of our house and I was like, holy shit, like did my second grader just leave school and like walk home and the, it's it's a moment like that as a parent where you're like, okay, um, well, school's not working for you anymore. Because like once your kid reaches a point where school is so unsafe, they can't be there anymore. I mean, good luck reducing yeah. that with the help of the school. Yeah. Like um, the institutional trauma there is serious. Well, and yeah, and this gets into like, we could talk about compliance and we can talk about like, you know, collective ideology and philosophy and norms and then the shadow like what we don't talk about like the shadow side of what collective norms exclude and how that conflicts with human nature and nature in general um but you know those early school experiences i got kicked out of my first grade class by my teacher for reading too fast out loud and i sat in the hallway and i cried and i cried and that mapped that i didn't belong because i read too fast that doesn't on paper sound like capital T trauma, but was that really formative? And, and, and how did that wire me what around my beliefs and sort of like concept of self, there's so much we could explore there, but suffice it to say, I really think that like the nervous system stuff and just really understanding developmental neurobiology is also another way that people can empower themselves, be they clinicians or educators or parents, or, you know, I work with adults. Um, you know, it's like, I came to this as an adult, not through, you know, I, it was my own disintegration. So I just really think that understanding that stuff can be a really potent and very, um, non-personal way in, which is good because then you can kind of frame it. And then from that frame, you can explore it you know, if that interests you, um, it interests me. (laughs) Everything that both of you have been saying, um, the fact that Dabrowski discovered that nervousness doesn't always start in children, but it can develop later. um, And even the concept of disintegration itself, you know, that can happen later in life. It gives me hope, um, particularly in the concept of neuroplasticity, Mm. in the fact that we can retrain our brain in a way even when we've got these sort of developmental sort of trauma sitting there, maybe we miss pathways. But in a child work, something that's really fascinated me lately um, and going back and reaching into places that you never developed as a child. Um, so for me, I recently did a bout of 
finger painting because it was something that I wasn't allowed to do when I was young because it was too messy. Um, and because I didn't have those pathways there, you know, with that sort of freedom of, of expression, it was something that I didn't learn as a child, but as an adult, I can reach back and retrain my brain to embrace those things. So I think that it's, you know, the forming of neural pathways provides a problem, but it also provides a solution in a way. Yeah. Yeah. I love that. I recently um, heard that I, I read somewhere that um, one of the pro one of the very problematic it's what happens a lot of times in, in more traditional educational institutions is that the centers for creativity and the centers for critique get wired together very early on. Um, and we can talk all about, you know, capitalism and productivity and, you know, all sorts of things that way. But yeah, you're, I love that, Emma, because you're talking about like, basically, there's the actual physical action of, of finger painting and, and the joy of embracing something. And, and then there's also this like, perhaps like more meta thing going on here too, where it's like, it's okay to be messy. It's okay to have fun. It's okay to do a thing without it having some sort of like commodified end, you know? Um, and so it's like, there's like a coherence. I, I get this, like there's a coherence happening between where those two pathways might've been the creativity and the critique, or, you know, if it's not okay, you know, that adds another pathway. It's like, this is not allowed. You're, you are totally playing around with rewiring those things in essence. And that's too, where like, you know, we see a lot of back to like, if we're talking about trauma, if we're talking about, you know, things like disintegration, I just really, you know, encourage us to, you know, bring the body along too. It's like, can we nerve it? Can we notice that, you know, our nervous system is kicked up? Can we develop a relationship with our nervous system and, and start to develop some flexibility with it? And it's going to feel, oh, this was a huge revelation for me. It was like, I'm really nervous to, to take time off or I'm really nervous to slow down and breathe. Like I had this allegiance to fast and I was like, oh, I'm just not used to being in a ventral vagal state. I'm just not used to being calm. Of course it feels scary. I'm just not used to it. So once I had that permission, I was like, oh, now I can relax in. I, I can understand it cognitively um, to relax in, but any, any physical doing that recalibrates and creates that sort of promotes that coherence and promotes that flexibility, I think is like really good. And that each person knows what that is, you know, so you can coach and walk with people in finding what those unique things are for them. Well, that makes me want to ask you more about your coaching work and how, how you work with adults. And I'm just interested in hearing more about what your work looks like and the kind of issues around like disintegration or how it relates to trauma that you're, you're seeing in people, if you can talk about it. Yeah, I'll try. Um, it's so, it's so like, um, it's pretty meta. So then I end up like kind of applying it to each person or each, you know, kind of subject individually. What I think is interesting to kind of like note is even before all of this started, like my own positive disintegration, my own, you know, rediscovering my giftedness and, and that kind of thing. When I look back on my career, it's like every place I worked at was in like its own sort of version of level two, kind of trying to enter level three, or it was like, 
it was in some sort of state of growth or change or transformation. So I look back and I'm like, oh yeah, that company, like they were moving, like they had about 30 employees and they were trying to grow. And traditionally that's known as sort of a threshold or like this company was about to IPO or this one's a startup. It's like, I feel like when I look back on my career, like engaging transformation has very much been a theme which is funny because even before my own, I'm like, oh, that was there. Um, but yeah, engaging transformation, I guess, is a great like way to frame it probably because, you know, usually people that reach out to me, they've, they've done some therapy stuff. They've gotten to a certain, to a certain place, but they're feeling like, okay, what's next? Or like, I'm not, this is, this is not like, I, I, I understand where my trauma comes from, but how do I work with it? Like, how do I really work with it? Or how do I, you know, start to engage or, you know, that kind of thing. So not all, but many of my clients seem to be navigating, navigating some sort of positive disintegration. That's, that's definitely something I've noticed. And so it's really just about, you know, I start exploring from, from really existential places, you know, and I, I definitely try to follow their interest, what's coming up for them. You know, a lot of times we do talk about, you know, the mind body connection. I have a model that I use that I've built called PACE, um, that really helps kind of bridge the mind body divide. So a lot of times people are very like in their unseen experience. And so we talk about how like it is all connected. Um, but it really is about like following what's coming up for them and exploring it together. And it's sort of like, I definitely offer reflection, um, it's very much like, I'm always like, take or leave this as it resonates. <laughs> like I'm, we're holding space. We're exploring. This is about you. Um, but I'm also not afraid to sometimes offer up some of my own experiences because I think like when you're going through a transformation or a disintegration, it can feel really lonely. You can feel like the only person that's ever been through this thing before you can feel really, um, feel really alone. So I think that it is good to be able to, um, appropriately from time to time, be able to, you know, share experiences. Um, but really I think it's all about developing inner authority, which, you know, right back to the theory. Um, I really walk with my clients and really want them to connect to a sense of inner authority, um, at least to start. And then from there, it's about explore, rebuilding and exploring. So it's, you know, depending upon where they are, when they show up, how deep the disintegration is that kind of thing, but it's actually pretty simple sovereignty, inner authority. And then, you know, a lot of it too, is that dialectical or that sort of shifting out of either, or and moving into like, we are the same and different, we are connected and separate, you know? So it's amazing how much I think of our like collective, uh, compression comes from that sort of like either or competitive underpinning. Sorry, that was like a lot. <laughs> no, that was great. I love that. So I love inner authority. That's a term that I enjoy too. It's like for people who, especially people who mask a lot, people who, mm-hmm. um, you know, have had so much conditioning or um, they really get caught up in like the shoulds and like, you know, how things are supposed to be in their mind. And it's like, you know, helping kind of wake up that sense of themselves and that trust and like, this is who I am. And this is, you know, what I need to do with my life, like, or what I want to do with my life, even it's rather than like, these are things that I always heard that I need to do, or that I should do, or, you know, this is what my parents said, and just all of that external stuff, awakening, like, 
that inner authority is a huge deal, but you have to be gentle with yourself. Yeah. I mean, it's very much like meet people where they are, hold space for the story, which is the, you know, a lot of times like the cognitive, you know, the thoughts imbued with the emotions and the beliefs, but then also the state. So I usually am watching, you know, if we're not in person, which most of my work is done online. Um, I am watching, you know, I'm like, it's like the speed of the thought, the speed of the language, the shifting of the body position, right? Like I am kind of looking for cues on like nervous system state, but that reciprocity of like inner authority going out and meeting the external world. I think about the theory a lot because with that and in my work, it's like, I only, I use a theory. It's like the, the first step is like, I'll, I'll, I don't reference it with all clients, but some I'm like, you know, there's a theory about this and it's completely normal to fall apart. It's actually like, it means you're going in and you're reclaiming yourself. You're going in to meet your inner authority. Like I'll say that sometimes I'm like, really, there's a theory about that. I'm like, yep. It's totally, you know, it may not feel like a good thing right now, but it's a good thing. But that homing beacon, right. I think of it like, it's like, where is your seat of authority? Is it in the external or is it the internal? So sometimes like this model I have, I have a a couple of visuals that I'll use with clients that help that kind of maybe cement better sometimes, but you're really taking the, the seat of let's say truth from the outside and you're putting it back in yourself where it belongs. And it's like, we're always kind of negotiating reality between the inner and the outer. But I, I do get the sense that we have this like deep imbalance with looking to external reality for truth. And that most people really have kind of outsourced that inner authority. Um, so yeah, I think reclaiming it is definitely a thread with every client I work with or every team, you know, even if it's like, you know, more of that, like consultant or leadership team kind of stuff. It's like, it's, it's there too. <laughs> I was going to say, it sounds very much like you're encouraged the encouraging them to embrace the hierarchization part of the theory and lean into thinking about who they ought to be, you know, and doing that shake off of socialization. Mm-hmm. And then at the other side of it, you know, starting to look into the self-education and the auto psychotherapy part of it. Yes. So really yeah. the way you work seems to mirror the theory quite closely to me. It, it actually really does. And that's not intentional. It's probably just a byproduct. <laughs> like it's probably just a byproduct of having gone through it in, in such depth with my first one, because it was like, it was a straight up, like push into the pool and that water was cold <laughs> and I was in there for a while. Um, but yeah, that, that it, it strikes me how yeah, the reorganization or the hierarchy. I think of it a lot about like the the vertical axis and the nervous system and the spine and the brain and the vagus nerve and the spinal cord. It's like, that is where all the information moves between the mind body, you know, obviously nerves branching out and things like that, but it's sort of like, come home to yourself, like come home to yourself and just develop a relationship. And like, And then for each person, it's different, right? So if I notice a lot of judgment of self or or critique of self, right? Like we'll we'll address that explicitly and less so, right? If there's a lot of shoulds, right? It's like, you know, let's talk about should for a while. Like it is intuitive in the sense that like, I'll notice kind of where they might be getting hung up on coming back and reclaiming that inner authority. But it's that spot on, Emma. It is definitely like the level three, um, 
quote unquote hierarchical organization. When I talk to clients about it, I'm like, you have to make your own, you know, it's like create your own philosophy, create your own reality, create your own worldview. It's like, so what bits of your worldview are you carrying from other people that you actually don't want to carry anymore? That's very Dabrowski. And he talked about like creating your own school of life, creating your own, you know, school of family or marriage or whatever. And so that, yeah, I love that. That totally makes sense to me. That's awesome. your own philosophy. Yep. Yeah. That's why I call it. That's why I say applied philosophy. It's like walk your walk when we're in congruence and like, we're never going to, it's like perfect is a myth, but like if we have our own school of reality or we have our own school of worldview, and then that whole thing is that process, right. Um, gets us in touch with our meaning and values and beliefs. And then you got to go in and it's like, well, where, where don't the beliefs match up? Like I say, I believe this, but I'm doing this. So like, I don't know. <laughs> um, but yeah, that's the sovereignty thing for sure. This was a really great conversation. Some, I, it's taken me a while to figure out how to talk about what I do. And this kind of gets back to what I was saying to you before, Emma, before we started recording, like, you know, being seen in what you do and sharing that. Um, it's the irony of being a brand and marketing director in my past life is like not lost on me that I've struggled to like talk about what I do. Yeah, I bet you're a great coach. I mean, just knowing you, you're, you have all of these elements that, you know, you're like naturally inquisitive, you're empathic and caring, like it, it all seems to come together. And so I can only imagine what it's like to be your client, but it's, this has been really great. Thanks so much for joining us, Rachel. This was a wonderful conversation. We're so grateful for you to, for you sharing your wisdom with us and our listeners. It's been really great. No, thank you both so much. This was amazing and super fun. And I'm, yeah, just super glad to be here and love what you two are doing. So um, yeah, thank you. I agree. This has been a fantastic conversation. And I think it's going to um, hit home with a lot of people. And thanks to you, Chris, as well, for coming on the podcast. I always appreciate you too. Oh, yeah, of course. I'm glad to be here. And thank you. And thank you, listeners. We always appreciate you joining us on each and every episode. And if you're listening to us on Apple or Spotify, please don't forget to hit those stars and give us a rating. As always, if you have any questions, feedback or topics that you'd like us to discuss, please get in contact with us. You can email us at positivedisintegration.pod at gmail.com or find us on Twitter or Instagram. And until next time, keep walking that important path to your authentic self.